This is Sports Best, where according to our Wikipedia page, we only bring you the best in sports and cut all of that worst business. We are broadcasting to you fake live from the Believe Podcast Network. He is the one and only man of many hats, including this week being a census taker, Andrew Keller. And I'm the guy the LA Times calls the dangerous, too dangerous for his very own good, Larry Olson. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Larry. <laughs> Later today, we're going to be talking to Kristen Thomas. She is a stand-up paddleboarder, water enthusiast, and has some really cool insight. And I'm excited for everyone to listen to that. We had a good time talking with her. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm going paddleboarding later this afternoon. I, I think Kristen is so cool because when we have people on and we interview them, I love when they ask us about us. And she was like very personal and wanted to know all about us. So Kristen's very cool. Paddleboarding is very cool. But let me tell you, Andrew, we are on, we are, we are literally at live sports eve. We are, we are so close to real, actual goodness sports that it's just so much fun. We, the baseball season is starting up on Thursday, two baseball games. It'll be the World Series Nationals taking on the Yankees, followed mm-hmm. by the Giants and Dodgers. Yes. And I feel like, can you smell it? Can you it smells smell like it? peanuts. No, no. It smells like, it smells like we need a man rub bet. The smell, I feel like a man rub bet going on because we got <laughs> we got the KBO right. We we you know I've got the the New York Yankees, the KBO, the Kia Tigers, and you've got yeah. the LG Twins. So whoever finishes higher, other person has to give each other their man rub. Yeah. So I was thinking we got to go through the odds a little bit here for baseball. See who okay. you think is going to win the World Series. Now we I I feel like we can't take the top three teams because it's too easy. They have too high odds. So the Yankees are three to one to win. The Dodgers are six to one, and the Astros are seven to one. So after that, you could choose whoever you want. Okay. I'm going to do some research. I'm going to make a pick on Friday. I don't want to make what? a pick right now. I, I got to tell you, as soon as we stop recording, I am going to have words with intern Kirk because he didn't properly prep me for this segment. And <laughs> my default is just to go with the Rangers. Did I'm going to take the Angels. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? I am going to take the Angels of Anaheim. So other teams at 30-1 to 1 are the Cubs, the Reds, the A's, the Padres, and the Rays. I go with the A's. Okay. The man rubs on. A's bets. So moving on, closer to home, baseball season starts Thursday. I don't know if you paid attention to the Giants game. The Giants and A's played an exhibition game earlier this week, and a couple of firsts happened in this game. Yeah. It was the first manager ever to kneel during a national anthem. Manager of the Giants, Gabe Kapler, took a knee with some of the other people, and he took a knee to, you know, like Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. So we've never really seen a coach take a knee with players. Well, players, it's happened, but it was interesting to see the coach. He became the first manager to do so. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's great he's doing it. I think people are using their platform to be able to bring awareness to what's going on right now. And the NFL seems to me to be the most constrictive or the most ruling with an iron fist being like, this is what you have to do and what you don't have to do. NBA, probably not going to do it because it hurts to take a knee on a hardwood court. <laughs> uh, I like these doing this. What do you think? Uh, I think it's cool. Uh, as you might imagine, it got the attention of uh, a one President Donald Trump. 45? And he, and he tweeted that he will not be watching baseball games where people take knees. Yeah. And then in response, you know, Gabe Kapler said, hey, listen, we're trying to do what's right here. We're trying to make a stand. And then, ironically, the Golden State Warriors coach, Steve Kerr, said in his response, you're not going to watch baseball games where they stand? Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. <laughs> that's too bad. Uh, I don't want to spend too long on this because there was another thing that happened this week in the Giants-A's game. The first ever female 
coach went out and coached first base. Her name is Alyssa Nankin. She's uh-huh. an assistant coach for the Giants. She's not going to be in the dugout during the regular season, but they allowed her to do some first base coaching during this game. She was the first ever female to coach during a real, uh, a somewhat real baseball game. I think that's so cool. The Giants are always on the cutting edge of everything. Uh, Sherry Davis, famously of the Giants, was the first full-time female stadium announcer in major leagues. So the, the Giants are just doing it as a team that moved from New York. I feel like they really got it. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, did you play um, Little League Baseball? Oh, man. I was the worst. I was so uncoordinated. Balls <laughs> would hit me in the face. I played, but, but I, I was not good. We all – did you have, like, uh, one girl? I had a girl. There was, like, one girl yeah. that played in my Little yeah, League. Yeah, there was a girl. Her name was Zan. I think her name was Zan Houseman. She was so good. And Darlene, who was in mine, she was, like, really good, too. Wow. Um, so, I'm wondering if this – if my girl or girls see this Alyssa being a coach and go like, that's great. Now we can, we can all play baseball. So speaking of being really bad at baseball, one of my fears, I'm nowhere near this, but like one day if I do something in life that someone asked me to throw out the first pitch of a game, I'm scared. (laughs) I'm going to botch it. I feel like botching the opening pitch is a lot of pressure. they, They say that it's really like, some people make it look easy and some people make it really bad, but it's really hard to stand on that mound. And yeah. they always say, like, don't stand on the mound. You see a lot of, pit, a lot of people don't stay, go all the way back to the mound. They right. go, like, halfway. But it's really hard from the mound. To, yeah, it's, I don't think it's a distance thing. It's a, you're not used to throw because you yeah. warm up on flat grounds and everyone's super yep. chill about it. Like, hey, have some drinks. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Fauci uh, is what? going to throw out the opening day pitch for the Nats versus Yankee game tomorrow. And – Hopefully he, he pitches from in front of the mound or he, he works on it. I think he has other things to focus on, so it might not be the best pitch. That's, a, that's kind of a controversial decision, right? I mean, you could have chosen somebody like more vanilla, like, uh, like Brad Pitt or something, right? But Dr. Fauci is kind of in the limelight. It's a big pandemic going on. You yeah. know, well, Trump disagrees how he's dealing with it. It's kind of a you know, controversial selection. He, I don't know if it's controversial. I don't know if I'd say that. He wore his uh, Nats branded mask when he went to testify before Congress. And when they started talking about baseball, like, I want to see them back in the stands early on. He was like, I think they should play baseball, even if people aren't in the stands. So he's kind of been a champion for the major leagues. You know, what's interesting about this, right? So Fauci's going to throw out the first pitch and then he's going to be escorted out of the stadium because he can't stay and watch the game. Oh, like nobody's allowed to stay. Maybe he'll have to watch from his phone or something like that. What's more important, if you sail it or go short? If you throw in an opening pitch, what's your approach? You know what? You're both shamed either way. I feel like maybe short is probably the worst way to go with that. I think you're right. So Canada doesn't have to worry about opening pitches because (laughs) they said no to Major League Baseball. The only Canadian Major League team, the Toronto Blue Jays, they're set to start their season on July 29th. And Canada's government said, no, you can't. So they're not going to have any baseball in Canada this year. I find this fascinating that literally, and there's, they just said, hey, you can't play in Canada. Their only team, because mm-hmm. they don't have the Expos anymore, they, you can't play in Canada. You got to go find somewhere else to play. Yeah, there's no crying in baseball. There's no Canada in baseball. So, well, then where are they going to play? Are they going to play? They're going to play. They're kind of scrambling to figure things out. I think they knew this was maybe going to happen early on, and so they were talking with Tampa Bay about sharing a stadium with them, but then there's problems built in there. 
talking about taking over an inactive park, like uh, there's a field in Atlanta or uh, RFK in DC, or they just use one of their minor league team stadiums. There's one in Buffalo and one in Florida. So I don't know. They're just going to have to figure it out. What, it's like, crazy to me. They have so much money that they can be completely isolated the entire time. The team is all on one plane. I, I Could some rich guy like um, I've, Daddy Warbucks, mm-hmm. like who has a baseball stadium in his backyard, could he just be like, hey, Blue Jays, come play in my private field? I think they could, but kind of what the players are saying about this is they have their best chance of playing at – of like a full-on facility so the the minor league thing would be the easiest thing to do but the players are like hey man give us a good place to play I mean they could also play at the field of dreams in Iowa all season I did think of that you know this I did a little bit of reading on this and it seems as if Canada is like going full-on dig on the United States because the reason they don't want the Blue Jays to play in the United States is because Canada thinks that and rightfully so that the COVID cases are surging and they don't want them to go from like a American city back into Canada. So it seems as if they're willing to say like, okay, we're not going to have baseball in Canada to make a point that you guys suck at handling COVID America. It sucks for the blue Jays. I think uh, back to the top of the show, I'm not going to put my money on, on Toronto winning the world series this year. You're not. No, you're taking the uh, Oakland A's. I want to know uh, just, just, just for funsies. Your favorite Blue Jay player. Just, I mean, I'm just going to, you tell me your favorite Blue Jay and then, you know. Clint McDonald. <laughs> Clint McDonald. Who's that? He's a pinch runner. <laughs> um, Andrew, you know that we, I feel like a little bit, maybe it's just me. I'm obsessed with the cardboard cutout thing here for baseball. I'm totally obsessed. I don't know if, I don't know if all teams are doing this, but I definitely know that in the Bay Area, the Giants and the A's have said to these digging olders, we'll give you a cardboard cutout for free and put your picture near your seat. Mm. Or if you want, you can pay. I don't know if other teams are doing this. I don't know if the Dodgers are doing this. Um, but I was watching the Giants and A's exhibition games, and the A's, it's great. Right behind home plate where, you know, you get that camera angle, the pitcher, they yeah. just have all of these pictures of fans that have been sent in. It's super cool to look at, just like the KBO we mentioned. So how many think – how many – cardboard cutouts do you think they sold for the Giants games because I think they were the first to say they were going to do this sold or gotten 6,000 6,000 you're close 5,100 that's really close it is really close the A's had 4,000 huh that's pretty good for no one that's more than goes to a normal A's home game (laughs) that's the big joke they're saying is like more cutouts than actual people going to A's games the Giants have actually taken this a little bit further they're gonna have celebrity pictures they've contacted the uh, estates of Jerry Garcia and oh. Frank Sinatra and they're gonna have all sorts of celebrity Barry Bonds I think is gonna have a cutout they're gonna have all sorts of celebrities there in the cutouts in in respective seats out there that's really cool I still if it was free I still don't think I would submit my picture I would I honestly I couldn't uh, it was gonna cost like a hundred bucks for both the A's or the Giants and I was like you know what I just I, I can't I don't think that I just can't bring that I don't think that's a good investment so Mark Davis, <laughs> the owner of the Raiders, is saying that uh, they're not going to allow fans uh, this season. And he says, no one fan is more important to me than another. No matter if they paid 75000 PSL or five they're all Raiders fans to me. My mindset is no fans should have 10 games. Do you think he's being noble? I feel like he 
I feel like he's out in front of this trying to be noble. Because when you're telling me this, I'm thinking like, well, that's not going to be his decision. Well, I, I, I mean, I do you think maybe the NFL would say uniformly no fans? Or maybe they're going to say you can have fans in Vegas and you can in Houston. I don't know. Well, the current plan is that like the first – 10 rows, eight rows are going to be blocked off and they're going to be further away and they're going to have spacing. And I did a little bit more digging and they've sold out for the season. So he's like, that's 8,000 seats that I can't move. And so I think maybe he's kind of, he's just doing a little spin. You know, the Raiders are interesting, right? Like most of these NFL owners made their money somewhere else. They're like uber rich people. And like, they don't like Jerry Jones is worth a gazillion dollars. But like Mark Davis, like his his wealth is completely tied to this team. He's getting no like if he doesn't sell eight thousand seats, like theoretically he's not going to be able to eat top ramen because he's not going to have any money coming in. Yeah, I think maybe I should reach out to him and see if he needs a place to stay. Like if this if the season doesn't happen, because one of the options is saying they're going to cancel the season. Yeah, I you know man, I wonder what the odds on that fifty fifty they're going to cancel. The, you really think they're going to cancel the NFL season? I don't think they will, but also in March, I was like, there's no way that baseball is going to be postponed or canceled. Now, I mean, I think nothing's out off the table. They're also talking about delaying the start till November and doing a 12-game season or just going on as planned. I mean, they can do whatever they want. And, and something else I heard early on was like, maybe the California teams aren't even allowed to play. So the Chargers, the Rams, and the 49ers are going to have to figure out somewhere else to play because – that's going to be shut down. Everything's on the table, Larry. You know, um, first off, my question is, when are you going to take me to a Raiders game in Vegas? When, when, you, when we go on that? Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll buy the tickets. You pay for everything else. Uh, that's the, yeah, as we know, that's not a good uh, offer to take up. I really have this great idea of, like, you, your brother, me, and Kirk go to a Raiders game. How, does that sound great? That sounds awesome. Thank you. I have something that I want to talk to you about, <laughs> and I think I want to do it on the air. Okay. The segment we called, If We Have Time. <laughs> Larry, we have time. Wait a minute, did you, did, you do if we had, did you do If We Had Time with Uncle Kirk? No, uh, no I didn't. It's no. a special thing that we yes. have together. Yes, yes. Fox Sports launched earlier this week a redesigned app with modern design and Ooh. bonus camera angles. So you Ooh. can watch sports on your phone and you could they'll have like i saw a mock-up of it. it's like the game's playing and they have different boxes of video going below it one might follow a player the entire game or you might be able to watch the bench the entire game in a world where there's lots of distractions i think it's good to have more angles that you can watch i feel no, like I, can... I think this is a great idea i love that you put this in if we have time because um I, I like the idea because sometimes games are a little boring, right? You're watching a game and you start looking at Twitter or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I like the idea Fox is saying like, okay, well, our website and app have been pretty crappy and bland. Now we're going to let you – like I heard one of the things, you're going to be able to like follow a player. Like if you just want to zoom in on a player for the whole game, you can just watch that player from this new app, which I think is like really cool. I think that's really cool, but it also makes me think of – I've played sports before and I do things that I don't – like I might pick my nose. I don't want people to see that. So – I guess you you have cameras on you all the time anyway. I, I'm living, you know, I'm living a lifestyle where I'm mostly getting looked at a lot. So my wife will tell you I never pick my nose. Well, that's good. You're classier. Oh, she will tell you that I pick my nose. That's actually she really sick. Carry 
Today, we're joined by Kristen Thomas. She has been a lifetime water enthusiast. Among other things, she's been a competitive swimmer, lifeguard, swim instructor, windsurfer, surfer, and most recently, stand-up paddleboarder. While she's been a familiar face on the stand-up paddleboard scene as a seasoned racer and ambassador since 2010, in 2012, upon request of industry leaders, hmm, she stepped up <laughs> to get the SUP Industry Association started as the founding executive director. She and her husband of 34 years live in Laguna Beach, where they raised their three now-grown children. That was a long introduction, but thank you so much for joining us, Kristen. <laughs> That's because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Really happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about my passion, stand-up paddleboarding. Yeah. So you started back in 2010. Uh, I mean, you've done so many things with water sports. Like, how did you land there? I would say seasons of, in life. I, one had, uh, our kids had gone off to college to her in high school. So I was kind of seeing that there was, uh, as much as I chose to be a parent, there's that light at the end of the tunnel that maybe it's time that I get to do something for me sort of again. And um, I've always loved water and lucky to live near the ocean. So this new sport kind of came along. I certainly wasn't the first. Um, you've probably heard of Laird Hamilton. It was happening in Hawaii, Southern California, Florida, um, Australia, kind of popping up in a bunch of different places, very much at the beginning sort of related to surf, but it's much more than that. I got to try it once when I was surfing down at Santa Onofre, one of our favorite surf spots. And then just in town here, a couple people had the big giant first boards that took two people to carry down to the water. But I definitely thought, ooh, this could be exercise. This could be exploration. Other people might want to do it. Then when I bought my first board, because I didn't get one for Christmas that year, I ran off right away to find one and um, had some great direction because I wanted a board that would do everything. And stand-up paddle boards kind of can be used in so many ways. He said, well, this is a good all-arounder, but, you know, and there's a race in three weeks. <clears throat> if that's the direction you want to go, there's a race down in San Diego. Or if surfing is a thing you might want to do, you're, you're probably, you know, this works for now, but you'll want specialty boards for both of those things eventually. So I've always sort of been in the niche part of the sport, but it had this exp exponential growth just on the recreational side. And mm -hmm. probably 90% of the people who do it are just out there enjoying the water. They're doing it with family. Because it's so versatile, it can be anyone really can do it on almost any kind of water. And that just has such a huge appeal. And actually, we're seeing a spike right now in this interesting, weird COVID times because people are getting outdoors and kind of realizing exercise and being outside is, is kind of a cool thing. And it's yeah. a when you're supposed to be sheltering at home, you're still allowed to go outside. So um, we're seeing a spike as some of the stores are opening and in interest in, in stand-up paddleboarding. Kristen, let me just say or describe my wife's favorite moment of the year. We go to Tahoe for a weekly vacation. And she gets up at six o'clock in the morning and goes on the glassy Lake Tahoe and spends ah. two hours on her favorite ride. And she comes back completely rejuvenated because of paddleboarding. And I want to credit you for this growth because 2012, I feel like in the last five years, paddleboarding <laughs> has kind of really taken off. It's really become a popular sport. You see lots more of them out there. Do you think it has to do with something about, I mean, obviously when you go to nature, you become, you know, you're, but the balance of it, I'm a guy, I can't get on that board, I can't balance well. Do you feel like the, the balancing aspect has something to do with this idea of sort of connecting with nature? Yeah, those are two really important pieces of stand-up paddleboarding. But I first have to say, yes, you can. Anybody can stand up paddleboard, so I wish I, <laughs> yes, 
I'm going to Tahoe. <laughs> okay, okay, I like that. You just that. have to be on the right equipment, you know, yeah. maybe a wider board to start with. And actually the, the most challenged people I've worked with in learning are sometimes the most athletic, large, muscle-bound men. Like you, you take a football team out there and you're going to have guys falling in the water. Um, <laughs> part of that is like you're using your muscles differently. You need to relax. And it's sometimes hard when you're used to use, engaging all your muscles right off. The proprioceptor or balance muscles that get engaged are not used in a whole lot of things. But also those first couple times, Larry, your brain says, hey, wait, you're on uneven ground. Something's wrong here. So a lot of people kind of get the shakes right at the very beginning for, for a time or two. Yeah, but you can get past that. <laughs> but yeah, but the balance, that's one of the beautiful things is that e without even feeling, even if you're out just for a casual paddle, you're engaging so many muscles, including yeah. these little tiny muscles through your body because of the balance part. The connection with nature and balance, I love that actually tied together. I don't think of that, but it's huge, the perspective and viewpoint when you're on the water of not only looking back at shore, but one of the big things is you can see underwater. Actually, sometimes people are really freaked out by that. Yep. But um, for instance, I live on the ocean and on a calm day to look down in the kelp beds and see our state fish, the Garibaldi swimming around and you know, you might see a little shark or something too. And that's <laughs> that part people don't always like, but Tahoe on a clear day that, um, Boulder Bay or around, you know, Emerald, oh, so many gorgeous places. So I can completely relate to your wife. What about you, Andrew? Have you tried it? Yeah, the first time I ever did it uh, was unsuccessful. I went to, <laughs> I was in, I was visiting Santa Monica with my brother and we rented boards and they were sold out of most of them. And this guy was like, this will probably work. You guys are athletic. <laughs> it was basically a surfboard. Ah. And I kept falling over, but I did it in Lake Tahoe and it is magical just being out there. I loved it. I think I want to ask you though, you said something about when you first found out about it, someone you're buying your first board, someone's like, there's a race in three weeks. Is that, <laughs> I feel like you have to have some level of competitive drive within you. You seem yeah, like a super chill person, but uh, right. <laughs> I have a little, I like to yeah, bury it a bit, but having been a competitive swimmer, I think that thought that would be fun to be in competitions again. And um, it's funny if my mom hears this, my, my mother is my water inspiration. She actually was a synchronized swimmer, oh. water ballet, which is in the Olympics in 1960 before I was born. She was on an American team that actually showcased and went around Europe. The Olympics were in Rome and they got to show it off, but that was in 60 and it didn't get in the Olympics till 83, 84, excuse me. So um, she, I think, was hoping my sister and I, who became competitive swimmers, would have gone that direction, but um, more my competitive spirit came out. But yeah, I thought, well, that would be fun. Also, at that point in time, there weren't a ton of people doing it a lot. So mm -hmm. I was going around our little harbor to the south, Dana Point Harbor, in a full wetsuit. And if you guys know, it was January, so I thought, oh, wow, the water's cold. But Southern <laughs> California water, depends where you're from, isn't right. freezing cold. I wasn't going to get hypothermia if I fell in until somebody on a dock yelled at me, hey lady, I haven't seen you fall in and you know, all week, why are you wearing that? And I think I lost 10 pounds that month because you, I was just sweating like anything, but super excited about this race. I thought, well, this is a place to meet people, to see how it's done because I wasn't finding really a place to, to connect and um, immediately loved, I'm sure it's true in a lot of sports, you, you wonder sometimes chicken or the egg kind of thing, are there great people in stand-up paddleboarding? Because the community is just amazing. 
or does stand-up paddling turn you into a wonderful person? Like Larry, you said your wife came off the water and was like so stoked and happy and rejuvenated. But it's it's really an awesome crew of people. It's kind of that that aloha effect, you know, and mm. bring the ohana and everybody together. We like to. Right. What are you trying? What are you trying to do with your organization? You're the founder. You started this in uh, 2012. SUP. Like, are you just trying to just get it out? to the universe that you should hop on a paddleboard or what are you guys trying to do? Yeah, so um, so 501c6s are a thing. That's, um, it's a business league. Basically, it's a business club, an industry association. So I wasn't familiar with it. It actually wasn't my idea to start it, but they somehow figured out one of the, I've mostly worked in education as a teacher, but I had been a director in a nonprofit for education. So they thought I could figure out how to get this going. So not my idea. It was um, brands and retailers kind of who had had some meetings and they tried for a couple of years, but they were all so busy because it was a brand new, brand new sport, brand new activity, stand up paddleboarding that they um, said, why don't you do this, Kristen, and figure out how to, um, since you're connected by that time, I'd been racing for a couple of years. Southern California is a hub. A lot of the company, early companies were coming out of the surf industry, which is Southern California. So um, yeah, the goal is, Twofold. Part of it is about, you know, successful businesses and we get the retailers and the brands together. And so within that group, the communication, but definitely part of it is getting the word out at that point. What is stand up paddleboarding? What is this thing when people see you standing on the water and they were, you know, at that point in time, uh, not that familiar with it. But I think you guys agree. You see it a lot now. I mean, it's definitely in a lot of marketing materials for, for all kinds of, of companies. We did have a real exponential growth around 11 through maybe 2017. And then it, like most things, it started to, to level a bit. We had some um, overproduction and stuff and sort of the business side. But yeah, we want, we want to grow the sport. We want it to be successful and we want our businesses to be successful. So, so part of a business league is, um, you know, networking and education and things within. So I remember watching snowboarding come online, like that was nothing. And then it blew up. And then now it's a staple in snow alpine sports. I've heard rumors that you guys might be in the Olympics in Paris or maybe not till mm. Los Angeles. And it seems to follow a, a similar trajectory. I mean, does that, does that, do you see that parallel or are yes. those rumors true? Can you break the news that you could be in the yeah, Olympics on our yes, show? Yes and no. We are not officially in the <laughs> Olympics. In fact, we are stuck right now and um, in a very interesting situation. The, IOCs, the International Olympic Committee's Court of Arbitration. Uh, two years ago, there's two associations that said, stand-up paddling is our sport, the International uh. Surf Association and the International Canoe Federation. And we truly are a hybrid, in my opinion. You know, we've got a paddle in our hand and we're facing mm. forward. So we fit the definition of what the Canoe Federation considers its sports. But we are also are standing on a board, on a surfboard. And a lot of people feel like it came from that direction. Although you can go back in history and find people standing on watercrafts a lot in a lot of different like super ancient histories. So where stand-up paddleboarding came is, you know, still under discussion. But most recently, this huge surge has been from the renewed interest in it that kind of came out of the surfing in Hawaii. A lot of people are giving credit. So we don't know because they still haven't released their findings. It was last fall, which, which place they're putting us or what this, the decision of that court was. So there isn't anything moving forward right now. It's a pretty complicated process to be in the Olympics, but being under one of those would 
supposedly help it move along. Yeah. We are so young and new that we don't have our own federation. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's another possibility too. I would guess that it would take much longer if we go that direction, but many of us feel it's strong enough that it could be its own. And if they can't decide what it is, is it surfing? Is it paddling standing up? Well, so I, I don't know how long Andrew's going to give me to ask you questions. So I'm going to ask my hardest question last here. My wife had this uh, moment on Lake Tahoe where she's finding her Zen moment out there, six o'clock in the morning, glassy. And then all of a sudden, two jet skiers came zipping by her. So I want to know your go-to expression word movement <laughs> for pesky people, because you seem very Zen that come riding up and want to knock you off your paddleboard. I know. And it's so frustrating that it does seem to be intentional sometimes. It's fun now, actually, sort of, that those that seem to be doing it intentionally, that, haha, you didn't knock me down. <laughs> Turning into the wake is like the best advice. Um, it's funny, my um, children would have me cussing, but I didn't, wasn't raised that way. So I probably wouldn't be shouting for little letter words at them, but um, I might flip them off. <laughs> No, it is, it is frustrating, but now I'm actually at a point where I would turn and try to take, try to ride the wake and try to surf it. Take that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, thanks. Hey, yeah, appreciate the free ride. Yeah, that is a frustration and hopefully, you know, can't we all get along? Let's Rodney King it. And um, <laughs> it's, uh, we tr have tried to be proactive in, um, for instance, we're in a very small harbor that has all kinds of water sports of every level. So, you know, there is a traffic pattern in a small harbor and it should be like a freeway and the slower water sports, which often are the human powered watercraft, we have a huge outrigger team, are supposed to be to the sides to allow boats, you know, and we don't want to piss off the boats. We want to all get along. On the other hand, a lot of that is, yeah, it's jet skiers. I don't know. <laughs> So before we get you out of here, I have a question um, with you guys have big events like the Carolina Cup, the Stand Up for the Cure, Air France Paddle Festival, which is weirdly in Tahiti, not France. But uh, <laughs> recently there's been some virtual racing. Like what has that mm. been like and how does that even function? Like I have an idea, but I'd like to hear from you. What does virtual racing mean for the sport right now? Yeah, that's actually been a really cool adaptation. I mean, of course, we'd rather be on site and together for these large events, but I um, mean, some of them are just really special charity events. Mm -hmm. So um, the online, I did, I've done a couple already where you register and they send you the swag because some of the, the events had already started to make their stuff or already had, you know, t-shirts made and everything. So it's a way to help the event keep going through these strange times but you usually um, submit, do it on your own, or I have a training group that I work with. We have a, we're gonna do Molokai to Oahu, mm -hmm. um, is next Saturday. It's a 16 mile race is what they've given us. So we've been training for it. So we're training for this race that's going to be done all over the world by different people, but then you put your times in. So some of them are a little less focused on like the actual race. Some are giving awards for places, even though it's, it's really hard when you're in different conditions to compare. And others are just, have even opened it up beyond just any watercraft or one, um, the stand up for the cure says, do yoga, do whatever, but on this day, wear pink, send your pictures, do the hashtag. So it's, it's been a really interesting way to connect. There are, so, there also are a couple of leagues of virtual paddling. So those of us who are real race junkies, they every few weeks have released 
released a new distance and then mm. you submit your times and that one you can keep submitting. So that one has been the real sort of challenging race addicts. We want to, you know, 5k, 10k sprint, yeah. see where you stand. And I've found, you know, people kind of in my age group category that I've never raced against that I now, Hey, I want to go to Brittany because Verity lives there and we're about the same speed. It would be really fun to race her, you know? Uh, that's great. <laughs> so there's been some interesting discoveries. It's kept the events going. I think it's a really, again, we'd rather be together, but in this time when we can't, it's a great solution. <laughs> I want to thank you again, Kristen, Absolutely. Thomas. Guys, go to supindustry.org. You can check out at K 2 on Instagram, <laughs> and that links to a bunch of other things she's doing, hosting, coaching, guide, racer. Thanks again, Kristen, for joining us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Well, that's it. That's all we have today for Sports Best on the Believe Podcast Network, where we believe in the best of sports, and that's why each and every week, Kurt cuts out the worst, and Larry <laughs> brings us the best. I'm Andrew Keller for Larry Olson, and thanks for stopping by.